it's Ronnie Davis, and you're listening to Eating More, the place to be if you want to learn how to stop eating in ways that make you feel like crap, if you want to end the weight and food war, and start reimagining healthy eating and living. We'll show you how to change your mind, your food world, and your life with less doing and more being. Thank you. Go ahead. So before I dive in any farther, uh, I wanted to I wanted to tell you a little bit more about me in case you're thinking, who the heck is this lady and why should I listen to her? I have been working with women around this whole weight and healthy eating thing in one form or another for about 12 years. Currently, I'm the founder of Cognitive Eating and the creator of the Cognitive Eating Academy. Before doing this work, though, I spent over eight years in the fitness industry as an award-winning personal trainer and nutrition and wellness coach. I was also a nationally qualified champion figure athlete. Since 2007, in one form or another, I have been studying, eating, breathing, and living not just weight loss and nutrition first personally and then professionally, but also more recently, mindfulness, meditation, CBT, behavior change, and more. In my past fitness life, I worked with the best of the best in the entire fitness industry. I am talking about oxygen cover models and Olympia winners. I have written for bodybuilding websites. I've been featured in Muscle Insider Magazine. I was Transformation Titan on bodybuilding.com, and I've even been featured in one of their print ads. So I know how to transform bodies. I know the fitness and wellness industry. I know weight loss. I know healthy eating. And I know bro science and fad diets. My entire life was dedicated to helping people lose weight and transform their bodies. And I was exceptionally good at it. But I also spent from my teens to about my early 40s at war with myself and my body and struggling with my own weight and food issues. I went on my first diet in my teens when an adult in my life gave me the Atkins book because they loved me and wanted to help me learn to eat healthy. There was life before that book and there was life after. I gained about five pounds in that first weight loss attempt and it started a nearly two decades long battle or about two decades long battle with food and my weight. By my early thirties, I was overweight. I was living at war with myself, my body and food. And finally, around that time, I had somehow eventually managed to lose the weight and had all of this supposed success in the fitness world externally. But internally, the war not only persisted, it just got worse. My story is extreme, but everywhere I go, I hear stories from complete strangers who are living varying degrees of the exact same disordered eating, food fear, shame, and body hate that I lived. Before I became a trainer, I thought it was just me that struggled so much. It's easy to blame ourselves when we feel like we're the only ones. But when you start looking at the reality of the statistics, a completely different story begins to emerge. There's simply no evidence anywhere to suggest that dieting or even traditional healthy eating advice is working as a means of weight management or health promotion for the majority of people. And worse, the majority of people who try to control their weight and food intake 
or food intake are more likely to get heavier over time than those who don't. But we already know this, don't we? It's become a running joke that diets fail and gym memberships go unused, that um, the healthy eating wagon repeatedly crashes and burns, right? Cheat days, which are often just code for binge or overeating, especially in the fitness industry, falling off track, regaining weight, needing to get back on the healthy eating wagon. All of these things have completely permeated normal life in our culture. And sure, we often see people successfully managing to eat healthy or lose weight. We've likely done so a number of times in our own lives. But how many of those people actually ever stick to anything for very long? Very few. And how many actually keep the weight off? Only about 2 to 5% keep weight off uh, long-term. And that's the success rate, the people who actually lose weight when they diet. It doesn't even include all of the attempts that fail to result in weight loss at all. So when I learned all of that and I learned why, I quit the fitness industry and I started working on cognitive eating. Because it's not just dieting, it is healthy eating and lifestyle change attempts too. There are literally billions of pieces of information, content, books, websites, all dedicated to telling us how we're supposed to eat to be healthier or what we're supposed to do to change our lifestyles, but the majority of people just don't. One of the reasons why is that it sets us up for failure. So next I wanna share three of the biggest reasons why you don't actually need a lifestyle change after all and why healthy eating or lifestyle change attempts typically aren't any more successful than diets. First, let's be real. The whole lifestyle change message or healthy eating plan thing, they're really just basically lifelong diets. They're people telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing for your body and saying you just have to stick to this forever. Second, the entire message that we are constantly bombarded with that we just have to make the decision to stop being lazy and switch from one lifestyle to another is completely missing the mark entirely. There's this belief that anybody who eats or looks a certain way is living the good or the healthy lifestyle. If you're thin and appear to eat right, you're good and making the good cho choices, pardon me. And if you're not, then of course the opposite must be true. The opposite of course being bad. And that's the message we get, isn't it? That if we want to be healthy and uh, we just need the motivation and the discipline to switch from one lifestyle to the other. And if we can't do so consistently, we are told we're lazy and just need to be motivated to try harder. I have been working with women of all shapes and sizes and lifestyles for about 12 years. And it's taught me that that is completely untrue, misguided, naive, harmful and insulting. People are far from lazy. The single most common lifestyle that I have seen in the women that I work with is one of nonstop working and doing for everybody around them. It is overworked, stressed, exhausted, unfulfilled, and as a result, unmotivated and uninspired. It's putting everybody else first and neglecting our own needs until every few months we look in the mirror, decide we don't like what we see, and we have to lose weight or change our lifestyle. But the reality is all we really want is to just feel better, right? We wanna feel better in our bodies. We wanna feel better about ourselves. 
And we've been conditioned to believe that changing our bodies is the only way to do that. And to change our bodies, we have to start living this good lifestyle. But when it attempts to fix the problem with all of the healthy living rules goes unsuccessful, they decide they're too lazy and they quit until the next time they get motivated to try the same, a different version of the same basic thing. It's not a lazy or undisciplined person. It's ignoring the underlying issues and trying to band-aid the symptoms. And the worst of it is that every time an attempt at this ridiculous supposed solution fails, the person feels more and more ashamed and blames themselves more and more. And that's not healthy. None of that is healthy. If you're trying to adhere to a bunch of outside advice about the things you're doing for your body, instead of connecting with and listening to your own body, you're almost certainly setting yourself up for failure. Because here's the biggest reason of all where why the lifestyle change message is a lie. It's not your lifestyle or your outer world that you have to change. It's your inner world. Think about it. What creates your current lifestyle? Your day-to-day choices, right? And what determines the choices we make every day? The things going on in us, our thoughts, our emotions, our beliefs, the beliefs we hold about ourselves, about our bodies, about life in general, right? Our hardwired patterns of behaviors that develop throughout our life as a result of all of those things, those are the things that are actually driving the choices that we make every day, right? Those are the things that drive why we eat the way we eat, usually completely subconsciously. So we're not even aware that it's happening. Our inner world is driving our outer world. It's creating our outer world. So our lifestyles were never the problem. Neither were our bodies, by the way. They're just the result of our day-to-day choices. And our choices are a result of the things going on in us, of our programming. So we have to then change the driving forces behind why we make the choices we make, rather than simply trying to force and willpower our way to, you know, make all of these different choices based on what some diet guru or fitness personality decides is the right way for us to lead, to live, move, or eat. Because you can't stick to any of it anyway. Because your inner world, your programming is not aligned with it. Your programming is aligned with and driving the choices you are currently making. Your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. Unhealthy lifestyles or choices are not the problem. They're the symptom, which is one of the reasons why the current paradigm is not working. Now, I want to share three of the biggest causes behind some of this programming that we can develop that typically results in feeling unable to stick to anything or feeling out of control around food or even full-on binge eating. What's behind some of this programming that I was just talking about? So the first one is restriction. What's the first thing that happens when you decide certain foods are off limits? You suddenly can't stop thinking about them or craving them, right? That's not a weakness or an addiction within you. It is a survival instinct that has literally been wired into the biology of our species since the beginning of time. Food restriction activates the survival center of our brain and creates these urgencies, compulsions, and really strong desires that force us to cave. And then when we do, the habit center of our brain gets rewarded. So it wires this act of caving 
into an autopilot habit that we don't even really control after a while. The more you act in a certain way, so that could be restricting food based on whatever diet you were on, or if you're using foods to numb uncomfortable emotions or feelings, the more you're teaching your brain that what you're doing is actually essential for survival. So one of the biggest roots of these compulsions or all the caving and falling off track we do lies in the circuitry responsible for detecting threats, meaning that the compulsion to cheat on your diet or healthy eating attempt, even overeating or binge eating comes at least in part from this threat of starving. That's why it's such a universal struggle for almost everybody because it's built into our species. So these habits usually start the first time we get uncomfortable on a diet by this restriction or attempts to eat healthier or, you know, anytime we try to restrict food in a way that fires up this survival instinct and it urges us to quote, blow it and fall off track. So it looks like this. First, we start the restriction, also known as trying to be good with food, right? Our brain panics and the survival instinct kicks in. It creates these cravings, urges, and obsessions, which cause us to fall off track or full-on binge. And then our brain feels better because it got what it wanted and it feels safe and comfy now. And it learns how to react even faster the next time food is restricted. So it's actually wiring uh, our brains to reproduce these actions automatically and even faster in the future the next time food is restricted. Have you ever felt like the older you get, the harder it is to stick to anything or the faster you cave? This is why food restriction wires our brains to create that habit of caving. And the more often we try to restrict, the more efficient our brains get at causing us to cave. So I wanna take a, a, little, a little bit of a deeper dive and quick look into that, the habit thing that I was just talking about because the whole thing we always hear that it takes 21 days to form a habit is garbage. That's why those 21 day fixes never work. True habit formation takes longer than that. And it starts with a psychological process called a habit loop. This is a three-part process that works like this. First, there's the cue or the trigger. This is what tells your brain to go into automatic mode and let the behavior unfold, right? So in this case, it might just be the act of restricting that certain food or overall calories too severely when you start a diet or this or, or another healthy eating attempt, that might be the cue or the trigger. Or if you're an emotional eater, it might just be uncomfortable feelings or emotions that you want to avoid. That's the cue or the trigger. And then there's the routine, which is the behavior itself. And then the third is the reward, right? Something that your brain likes that helps it remember this habit loop in the future. And our brains like food, right? That's the reward. So this habit loop is what's actually wiring your brain into these patterns. And um, if you've ever noticed yourself at the other end of an empty bag of potato chips and wondered how you got there or mindlessly wandering around the kitchen looking for food without even really being hungry or knowing what you want, that's this cycle in action. Your brain has detected a threat. It has decided that food is uh, the solution. So its habit center is just running this autopilot program, trying to keep you safe and alive. Which brings me to the next cause of struggling with food. 
we treat ourselves the way we believe we deserve to be treated. So when we feel badly about ourselves, we tend to self-punish. And food and body shame is a big part of that because we have been taught to assign morality labels to food and body size for that matter. Morality labels on food suggest that there is a clean, moral, uncorrupt, blameless, or even smart way to eat, which then requires that the opposite must also be true. Anything else must then be impure, sinful, corrupt, bad, or stupid. And then we're told we are what we eat. So we place these moral classifications on food. We believe eating those things is bad or stupid, and then we're taught we are what we eat. So we believe the good or bad, smart or stupid label then applies to the person eating it, not the food itself. And it is incredibly difficult to feel good about our bodies or want to make healthy choices for ourselves if we feel like we're bad for eating bad things or for living in the wrong sized body. And even the more accurate label of healthy versus unhealthy is still damaging because it still promotes this idea that unhealthy, the unhealthy choice is somehow bad. Of course, some foods are more nutritious than others and will help you feel better than others, but nobody knows what those foods are better than your body. Nobody knows what makes your body function at its best better than your body. And nobody is more invested in your well-being than your own body. But instead of trusting our bodies, we're taught to hate them, berate them, punish them, disconnect from them, and actively even fight against them. Build your willpower muscle, resist temptation, right? But your body doesn't decide to starve itself or chase a half a gallon of ice cream with a bag of potato chips just because the scale goes up half a pound, right? It's our programming that drives those behaviors. And then our hearts just get so tired from fighting the same war that we're just always looking for ways to numb it all. Which brings me to the third reason that we can struggle to eat right, that is using food to numb or avoid pain or uncomfortable emotions, which is normal. Most people do it sometimes for one reason or another, but some do it more than others. And if food is our only coping strategy, then we can run into some issues with trying to feed literally everything. So this all sounds kind of doom and gloom. I understand all of that. And if all of this is the case, how then do we eat and live healthy? Well, I want to start by getting clear on what's the best way to eat, because despite all of the, the claims of literally every diet, there simply is not a best healthiest way to eat. What makes one body feel its best will not always do the same thing for another body. And nobody can even agree anyway. The nutrition world is full of professionals who have been studying nutrition, researching food, getting degrees, all experts in the field with completely polar opposite opinions, all fighting with each other about who's right and how the other side is wrong. It's insanity, especially since because even if there were a perfect way to eat, which there isn't, you can't stick to it anyway. So the best way for you to eat is whatever way helps you feel your best mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and only you get to decide that. So how do you get there? You get there by getting out of your own way, by learning to change the patterns that keep you stuck, by letting go of the shoulds and the, sh the shoulds and the shouldn'ts, and defining your own version of healthy eating and living. The Society for the Promotion of Buddhism says the secret for health of health is for both mind and body is not to mourn for the past or worry about the future, but to live in the present moment wisely and earnestly. And it's kind of that simple. 
Rather than approaching healthy living from the perspective of feeling like we need to do more things, we can approach it instead from these more four main aspects of being. Being present in this moment because it's the only one that truly exists. It's the only one we have control over. Being connected to our inner world, to the things going on in us, our thoughts, feelings, the communication we're getting from our bodies and how all of those things are impacting and driving our choices. Being curious about all of those things with gentle awareness and non-judgment. And then finally being intentional, intentional with our thoughts and behaviors and intentional with our responses, intentionally choosing compassion, kindness, gratitude, and love when we make choices for ourselves. And we can start practicing those things with a few very simple questions that most people never ever ask themselves. How do I feel? How does it feel to experience life in my body in this moment? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Where am I feeling it? What is that feeling trying to tell me about what I need right now? How do I want to feel? And then there, if there are gaps between those two, what can I do to bridge those gaps, right? So this is where we start, just being present and checking in with how we feel. And then from there, getting into learning, getting into shifting those patterns. So to help people do that, I've created cognitive eating as a step-by-step -step process with a wide range of scientifically proven effective modalities, along with some of my very own systems built right in, because it's not about forcing ourselves to try to change anything to fit a ton of new stuff into an already busy life. It's not about water goals, keto, low carb, vegan, gluten-free, organic. It's not about some arbitrary number of steps per day, hours in the gym, or even hashtag weight loss transformation. It's about getting present with your current life and learning new ways to experience it. Imagine if you decided I'm done with the shoulds. I'm done being ashamed of my body. I'm done with those feelings of unworthiness and all of those old thoughts and patterns of behaviors that have gotten me here. I'm waking up from the mindless trance of the conditioning that isn't serving my greatest good. And I am showing up for me today and honoring the needs of my highest self. If you made it your mission to break out of the trance of that and maintain that presence your entire day, to maintain presence, curiosity, connection, and purposeful focus of your attention and intention, with a gentle honoring of your mind and body. If you do that, you'll actually start being able to have your thoughts and behaviors match your intentions and your desires. But if you keep getting up every morning, repeating the same things you've been doing for the last 10 or 20 or 30 years, your future will look exactly the same as it does today. Because you keep viewing life from the same level of thinking and behaving, from the same programming or conditioning that got you here because our thoughts and emotions drive our behaviors. Those are the things that create our life. When we're able to start opening our hearts and our minds to new outcomes, we're able to actually start creating them. So it takes deprogramming, training practice, and new ways to think, but it changes everything. And like I said, this is what I teach people in cognitive eating, just to wake up from this trance of our conditioning and to rewire our brains with new conditioning that serves us and the life that we want in a body that just feels good to live in. So I've created a short handout. I also have a 
$200 off special coupon code for anybody that's interested in learning more about cognitive eating. But I've also created a short handout that I'm going to hand out after the workshop with some specific strategies that you can start practicing. But let's check back in with our friend Mary to see what happens when she starts getting out of her own way with this process. She starts feeling free. She starts feeling lighter, proud, even at peace, right? She starts smiling more for no reason. She stops worrying about the future. She's able to regulate honor and manage emotions without always relying on food. She's not being beaten down by that internal negative dialogue. And she starts noticing that the foods that she used to feel out of control around she no longer cares about. She's not binging or overeating anymore. She doesn't care what the scale says because she knows that her worth goes so far beyond any number. And she's shocked to actually be craving foods and movement that help her feel her best. Not because she feels like she has to shrink her body or she's scared of being unhealthy at some later date. It's because she wants to, because she loves and values herself enough. She's making choices for herself and her body and her life, not based on fear, distrust, and rules, but rather from a place of love, connection, and trust. And so the bottom line is this. The choices that we make today cannot change our body size today, but they can change how it feels to live in our body today. And that's where we want our focus to stay. Not when the scale, not what the scale says, how it feels to live in our bodies and the programming that keeps us stuck repeating patterns that may not be helping that. And then, so then moment to moment each day, you're just making conscious choices for yourself from this place of love and trust. Choices that help you feel your best, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. That is in my view, the true key to getting out of our own way so that we can live better and feel healthier mentally, emotionally, and physically, because it's aligned with who we are, with what's important to us, and with what we uniquely need to live our best moment to moment. And I've got some free, more, some extra resources here, and you can connect with me on social media as well afterwards. That's it for my presentation. And I think I got it in right at 29 minutes. Go me. <laughs> Way to go. That was awesome, Ronnie. Woohoo. <laughs> okay. I want to just send the um, control back to you. Mm. Unless you can take it back. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I have to take it back. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's okay if it's not. Anyway. Reclaim host. There we go. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. You're up. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> um, you just tell me if you can see this. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. Okay. Well, welcome to get out of your own way. My version. Ronnie did such a great job of, of, of sharing her perspective on healthy living and, and loving yourself from the inside out. And when Ronnie and I began collaborating on this, uh, we knew that we both had the same sort of message just from two different mm. perspectives. And a lot of what Ronnie said 
uh, really resonates with me and with the message that I'm going to share with you. So who am I other than being Ronnie's friend? Uh, my name is Dana Lloyd. I'm a leadership coach, which means I coach leaders one-on-one -on -one inside organizations. I'm a podcast host of Soul Sister Conversations, which you can find on uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And I'm author of Soul Prescription, 101 Ways to Find Joy, Meaning, and Fulfillment. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about today is how do we get out of our own way so that we can experience more joy, meaning, and fulfillment and direction in our lives. And I'm going to be sharing with you some of the tools that I use um, to do that and what I teach other people. But first of all, why is this important to me? And I began my own journey, just like Ronnie, many years ago, uh, on my own personal development journey. And it really began uh, in my late uh, 20s when I was sitting in a cubicle, being really not loving my life. Like the, in terms of my job or my career, I was a teacher by trade. And um, a teacher by trade, but I was working in corporate. And so it just wasn't aligning. So that was the first time that I began to hear the questions bubble up about my life. And um, so then it quieted down for a while. So I was asking myself, what should I do with my life? And I didn't know how to really figure it out other than I could go get a teaching job, which there weren't many of at the time when I lived. I was living near Toronto at the time. And then that sort of quieted down. And then... I ended up um, having some, we, as we all do, we have different bumps in the road. And about 10 years ago, my mother started declining in health. And I found myself being uh, very sad and depressed about that. And I know that's nothing new or many people go through it, but she was declining in health and we didn't know why. And it became a, an overarching uh, problem or feeling that I had in my life. And I be, be like I said, I became feel very sad about it. And because we didn't know what was wrong with her, I remember thinking like, if she goes on like this for 20 years, if she is in this mental or this health state, she, she was losing her speech, losing her mobility for 20 years, am I going to be sad for 20 years? And the, my answer clearly was no, I, I did not want to be, be in that particular kind of state. So at that same time, I was beginning to write my book, Soul Prescription, and I began to become aware of the emotional states within me, much of which, you know, Ronnie was talking about, that we have control over our thoughts, what's happening within us. So um, I, I remember getting a phone call from a client one day, and I, had, I, I was actually on the phone with my mother, and I was feeling very down because she was very sad and, and about her situation, and I had to let her go to take the phone call. And then I took the phone call from my client, and I mustered up all the courage and pretendness that I could, and I said, uh, good morning, Dana Lloyd. And um, by the end of that phone call with my client, I realized that I actually felt really good. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting how quickly I could shift my states uh, just by what, what I was focusing on and what was happening around me. And so I be began to, as I began to write my book, I came up with this spiritual or emotional scale, I call it. And I'm going to share that with you in a moment. But my presentation today are really around getting out of your own way is a combination of this practical, how do I figure out direction in my life, but also how do I feel good? How do I find joy and meaning and fulfillment? Because that's not easy to do. And I'm so happy that you are here, or if you're going to be listening to this at a later time, um, if you're uh, someone who couldn't show up, that um, that you might want to be finding you know more joy, meaning and fulfillment and direction in your life too, because who doesn't want more of that? And I like practical and I like easy. So I'm going to be sharing with you what, what I know. And let me see if I can get this to 
There we go. Uh, so get out of your own way. So three tools that I'll be sharing. One, the daily tool to find joy and presence, the tool uh, around values. And of course, that inner critic, you know, Ronnie referred to it as well. That is just that hamster on the wheel that is constantly telling us uh, what we think we should be doing. And that's usually very generated from an external standpoint. And I'll show you how you can turn that around. So this is my um, spiritual scale. You call it emotional scale if you don't like that word, but I feel like every single day as I, I connect to my highest self, I'm taking a spiritual journey. Um, and this here scale really is about um, finding your own peace. That, that's mostly what I use this scale for because it wasn't until I recognized that there was actually two narratives going on within me. And I actually had a choice about where I connected to these. You know, there was a time when I was completely oblivious to what was happening in my life. I thought I was everything on the right-hand side of the ledger, the ego, the everything that it stands for, the misery, annoyed, hate, complaining, emptiness. Oh, I lived in that space and didn't I thought, you know, I thought I loved it, <laughs> but I was miserable, whether it was trying to decide what to do for a career or even my emotional state as my mother began to fail. And so I just want you to test this for yourself. You know, think of a situation recently where you were annoyed or upset or off in your thinking and look at this ledger and, and maybe you can find a word that's already on there write it down, have it pop into your head. What side of the scale were you on? So I'll just give you just a second to think about that. Maybe you think about when you get out of bed this morning, what side of the, you know, really what side of the bed did you get up on? What side of the ledger did you get up on? And one of the things I began to realize as you may realize, is that sometimes we are so attached to what we call the ego, that false conditioned self. And it can really trick us into believing that this is who we truly are. But to me, if you see on the left side of the scale, it is really about connecting to our highest self. And to me, ultimately, that is being in the present moment. That's where my joy is found. That's where peace is found, love, gratitude, creativity, my excellence. You see on the ego side, complaining, emptiness, perfection, worry, jealousy, I'm living in the past or the future. And for me, using the spiritual scale is a constant check-in um, around uh, where am I at any given moment during the day? You can check in 10 times a day because I'm going to tell you right now, unless you have <laughs> nailed the, the whole getting rid of the ego, most of us go to the egoic spot a lot more than we care to admit probably. And so this is why you can really use this uh, scale early in the morning when you get it, you think, where am I today? Where am I at this moment? Am I in peace? Am I in love? Am I in imagination and possibility? Or am I already worrying about my meeting that's coming at nine o'clock? Am I offended? I mean, there's a lot of polarization happening right now. And polarization begins in our mind. And sometimes we have polarization around ourselves, what we think about ourselves. We, we, we create divisiveness within ourselves. So, and I like the scale because it's a great way to stay out of drama. When you're on the left-hand side of the scale and connected to your highest self, you can wave to everybody on the other side of the scale who's willing to participate in pulling each other down, but you are now not, no longer a participant of it. Uh, the only thing you're gonna participate is connecting to who you are. 
So, but let me remind you uh, what this is not, because people might think, well, isn't that just being fake positivity? And it's not. When you are on the uh, connected to the the your highest self, when you're connected to the present moment, to loving who you are, as Ronnie had suggested, that this isn't about what people think about you externally. It's what you think about yourself. We don't derive our worth from from those around us. So this isn't about being fake. Uh, positivity. It's not about avoiding processing traumas or hurts by connecting to your highest self. You can still do that from that place. This is not about pretending. Just like I didn't pretend my mother wasn't dying. I just chose ways to get myself to feel joy as much as possible, even in the face of it. And for me, gratitude helped a lot. And noticing the beauty around me and sitting outdoors, listening to the birds, for example, brought me to um, peace and delight. And being aligned with your highest self when you think, oh, kumbaya, love and peace, present moment. This is not being about soft or being a pushover or being weak. In fact, I argue it's your strength. It is stepping into your greatness. What aligning with your highest self is, though, is being in control of how I want to feel in spite of difficult situations. And I get it. It's difficult. For me, when I began to uh, constantly move myself to my highest self space in the face of my mother dying, it was through the smallest of moments and they mattered. And I really began to have gratitude and appreciation for every day. Time slowed down um, and when I could find moments of beauty to focus on. What aligning with your highest self is being conscious in your life and becoming aware of when you go unconscious. I guarantee you when you're on the side of the ledger connected to your ego, you are unconscious because no one would ever betray themselves if they were conscious. You know, we, we know this, even when we're eating food, like I know myself, if I go unconscious, I'll eat the thing. I'm like, I don't even want to hear the voice that's saying, do something else or make another choice. And I can even argue with myself about feeling good. It's like, no, why is it so good? There's a saying that company, uh, misery loves company. You know? <laughs> so we love it to be in that negative space, but it does not serve us. Use the unconscious to elevate you. So for example, I've heard people say, well, if I, I can't get anything done, if I don't get angry, how am I gonna make, you know, be an advocate? How am I gonna do all these things? You, you can use anger as a catalyst, but don't stay there. Shift to the space of your highest self. The ego does have a great role to play in helping you get out of your own way because it serves you up contrast. It shows you what you don't want. And in the case of my mother, I was you know, becoming so sad that I came to a point where I had to do something. And that I'm grateful for because that's really what created the awakening. And so now I realize the speed at which I return to my highest self is a sign of my own spiritual maturity. Uh, and I can move back there much more quickly. There was a time when I never moved from the egoic space at all. And now I, I can say that I'm on the left side of the ledger, connected to my high self a lot more frequently. Do I get disconnected? Yes, I'm human constantly. Someone cuts me off in traffic, done, right? And I got to remember, back we go, back we go. Um, so this is having a tool to check in with yourself. It is about awareness. You know, ask yourself throughout the day right now, where am I right now? And where do I want to be? Aligning with your highest self is also having control over your life. You can still have difficult conversations, hold people accountable and have boundaries. 
This is about being proactive in your life versus reactive. And you see situations for what they are. That song from the 70s, I can see clearly now, that's what it truly means for me, is I can see clearly now. And all the situations that have been given in my life are really opportunities for me to return to the space of my highest self. Because, and the very last one, the reason why uh, I want to align with my highest self is for internal peace. I want to stop contributing to my own suffering. And it is a constant reminder. And this is why aligning with your highest self is a practice, that word practice. Because if you let it go on check, you will drift naturally back over to your egoic state. That's why I suggest it's a daily practice. Zig Ziglar used to, he's a motivational speaker, um, I passed a while, a while ago, but he used to say, um, motivation is a lot like bathing. I suggest you do it daily. And so I, connecting with your highest self is like bathing. We must do this daily. This is your soul work. So I hope that makes sense to you. Um, so there are many ways that we can get connected to our, our highest self. And as I mentioned, there's gratitude, there's um, appreciation of the things around you. It's focusing what's going right in the world for you. Taking inventory. There's many, many ways. And, and I wrote a book, as I said, the oh, Soul Prescription, 101 Ways to Find Joy, Meaning, and um, Fulfillment. And that's why I wrote it, is to help people get back to that space and look at the different ways that you can do it much more easily. And I, I love reminding myself about that because I want to feel good on a daily basis. And that doesn't always happen, especially living through the pandemic. There's been some difficult times, but I always have that tool. So I hope that's helpful to you as a new way to see um, how you can find your joy. The other piece I want to introduce to you, which is something that I'm always excited to talk about, is values. And I'm going to give you a quick rundown of what they are, because so many people are looking for direction in their life. Like, what should I be doing Maybe even who should you be doing uh, life with, your relationships? What's my purpose? And values are a great way to help frame this up for you. So we're going to be talking what are they, how to find them, and how to use them in your life to give you direction. So values, you might have heard that word. If people ask you, what are your values? You might automatically respond, as I would have many years ago, honesty and integrity. Uh, and not that those aren't my values, but I'm looking for values that drive my life. Um, those are there in the background, obviously driving my life, but they don't help me make the big decisions. So values become like an internal GPS, guidepost, clarifiers. They're a way to see yourself from the inside out and a new way to articulate who you are. We live in a very egoic world where you ever go to a party or a networking event and people will ask, what do you do, right? So we, we define ourselves by titles. I'm a mom, I'm a this, I'm a leadership coach, I'm a CEO, I'm a whatever. But really what I'm interested in is who are you being? And to me, values answers that. It's not what you're doing, it's who you're being. So how do then we find our values? Because that this is really the big question. And here's, here's one of the questions that you can ask yourself, which is up on the screen. What are the must-haves in my life? So I have a values course uh, for anybody who's on this call, that, and I'll be sending the link to you. Um, but there's a little course that you can take that'll help you define this in about 30 minutes. But 
for, for now, this one question, what are the must-haves in my life? And here's a little bonus tip. Apply it to very, if you can't think of something right off generally, apply this to the various areas of your life. What are the must-haves in my career? What are the must-haves in my relationships? What are the must-haves in my um, spiritual life? These are ways to uncover what are your values. And I'm going to show you what some of those are. Um, some of these are mine. Some of these are other people. These are the kinds of words that would show up. So in the values course, or anytime you work with me as a coach, we're talking about recording your values. I'm always listening for, for who you're being. So mine are co contribution, connection, and comedy and creativity. So some of them are up here. So what I would get people to do is come up with words like this. Could be adventure. It could be fun. And we begin to rate them on a scale of zero to 10. 10 being you're really honoring the value and zero being not at all. So it's a, it's a good measure to find out where you are with your values. Because here's what I know. When I am feeling stuck, when I am feeling stagnant, when I'm feeling irritable, it's usually a sign that my values aren't being honored. So for example, if you're someone who says you love connection, and for me, connection, family, friends, I get people string uh, words together because it's what it matter, means to you. We could have the same values words, but we could have different meanings for it. Um, but say, for example, in October, I could would have rated that a four because we were in another lockdown. Uh, you know, I get driven by being with people. So I really, that value wasn't getting honored. So I was starting to feel a little miserable and squirrely around um, spending so much time alone. But then you can evaluate at different points in your life. In February, I'm seeing more people. So it goes up to an eight. And you can see how your life then um, moves according to your values. Comedy and fun. If you're feeling like you're not having very much fun in your life and it's a value that, that you really um, love, then maybe that's why you're feeling miserable or out of sorts. And it's be even for me, um, creativity, I had to add to my values sheet only after I recorded or recorded, wrote my first book, I was like, how did I miss that? I realized that I loved creating and that was something that I had to do on a much more frequent basis. And uh, so I added that to my, my value sheet. So once you become aware of your values, you as you move through your life, you begin to, to recognize them. And so for me, this is a way to articulate who you are. Instead of saying, I'm Dana, a leadership coach and a mom and a wife, you could say, hi, I'm Dana. I like to connect and contribute. I love having fun. I enjoy learning and development and creativity. Now it's sounding like a dating profile, but you can see how much more useful that would be than, than just saying your titles. I want to know who are you and your values tell you who are you. So then we can actually begin to, um, um, I moved it the wrong way, but that's okay. Maybe I can move it back. Um, so then we can actually begin to use our values to guide our lives. So for example, I recently um, was helping someone, a, a young person with their career direction. And people think they don't know who they are, but you know yourself better than you think you do. We just don't have very many ways to articulate that around who you're actually being. And once I started listening for these values and recording them, then they could actually, because they were actually job searching, then they could use their values as they went through these job search to recognize where they should be spending time. 
So for example, you know, example, if you like um, creativity, you might like sitting in a cubicle, um, you know, doing data entry. If you feel like you maybe need to be creative as a salesperson, or maybe you need to be working in a, a paint store or whatever that is for you, because now we can use these to drive our life. And this is a huge uh, way to get out of your own way. Um, we think that we don't know ourselves and we actually do. And as I said, the values course goes in more in more depth uh, around this and how you can actually use this to guide your life. I think it's one of the most important things for um, people to know. When I started getting coached many moons ago and, and my coach asked me about my values, um, I could begin to feel the fog lifting. I didn't have everything figured out but I could see how this was going to be very magical in my life. And it's something that I always hold in the back of my head and, and how I help other people too, because if you just had to take one simple tool, this is a great one to find direction and you also meaning in your life. I mean, if you, if you value contribution and you like giving back or may, you know, for me, contribution is helping to friend clean up, you know, I like being of service. And so when I'm living that I'm living my purpose, I'm living, um, I, I'm living my values and that makes me happy. Right. And there was a time when I was sitting in that cubicle that I mentioned way back in my twenties, that there wasn't, you know, nothing was really wrong, but nothing was really right. You know, like it, it was just where were, and it was really the sense of fulfillment. And when you live a life, according to your values, you feel fulfilled. It's a completely different, um, feeling and experience. And I know we're coming at the top of the hour. The last thing that I wanted to talk to you about was um, the inner critic. Because this is a raging narrative that um, we all have to different degrees. It says things like, you're not good enough. You're too old to start. You're too young. You don't have enough experience. What will other people think? And... This is based from our conditioned world. I mean, who knows where we get these things? They start in childhood and we just acquire a lot of baggage over the years. And the inner critic can be, you know, a quite a raging uh, voice. And there was a time when I used to get people to name their inner critic. And I still suggest that because you need to, you kind of have to name it and understand it and give it a job when it's, you know, maybe before I come on and do something like this, I'll have to control the inner critic that's judging like, oh my gosh, don't screw up. And you have to get it perfect. And you did that. Did this. But one of the things I've developed over the years is realize is I'd prefer you to name your inner coach. And I want you to think of a name. So I have an inner critic. Her name's Roz. My inner coach is Rose, which is my mother's name. And so I always think it's Roz or Rose. So if you think back to that spiritual ledger that I just showed you, it's like Roz is on the ego side and Rose is over here. And I'm shifting between those voices all day long. Hopefully not too much now. Um, but you, you, want to, you want to name that inner coach, name your critic. And I, have, I should really put a coach up here. You can do your name, your inner critic, but also name your coach. What would you give her or him? And just stop and think about that for a moment. And I'll, and I'll give you some sheets in the, the review package as well. So places that you can record some of this stuff in the end. Now, when you have the, um, the raging inner critic, I want you to think about what would your, when you have those voices um, raging, how to turn down the volume on the inner critic 
focus on your inner coach, call her forward. What would she say to you? What encouraging words would she say to you? What do you need to hear? Because we need to find a way to turn that volume down. Because when we actually hear all those other voices around, you're not good enough and so on, those are our limiting beliefs that we have acquired. And our inner coach is a great way to transform and reduce those limiting beliefs and reduce all of the angst around um, those negative thoughts that keep us um, from doing what we want to do. And it keeps us stuck in our own way. So. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking about the, the inner coach focus on who this name her, call her forth. And I know we are at the top of the hour, almost one minute to go. And, um, just so you know, for other ways, cause I know we're going through this quite quickly. If you want to connect or work with me, um, the ways you can hear what the kinds of ideas that I talk about and the kinds of people that I interview. I have a Soul Sister Conversations podcast, which you can hear wherever we listen to uh, podcasts. Again, the book, Soul Prescription. I coach leaders one-on-one. I have a monthly women's group called the Soul Prescription Club, where we talk about things like this. We take a theme every month and we break that down. And of course, the values course, uh, which is $19.99 for this group, uh, for you to go through in a lot more detail. Uh, so you can figure out who you are from the inside out. And I want to leave you with this one quote um, as we end this session. These were words written on the tomb of an Anglican bishop around 1100 AD in the crypts of Westminster Abbey. And it says, when I was young and free and my imagination had no limits, no limits, I dreamed of changing the world. And as I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change. So I shortened my sight somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. And as I grew into my twilight years in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing my family, those closest to me. But alas, they would have none of it. Now, as I lay on my deathbed, I suddenly realize if I had only changed myself first, then by example, I would have changed my family. From their inspiration and encouragement, I would have been able to better my country. And who knows, I might have changed the world. And... I, I want you to think about that, about, you know, this isn't about changing or improving yourself per se, but getting out from, uh, um, getting out of, from getting out of your own way. So the world can see the beautiful person that you are, you have gifts and strengths and talents and values to live. And we need that in this world. So I hope some of these quick tips today can, can help you use this in your life and help you get out of your own way. Thank you. I'll hear, I'll stop sharing. That would be helpful. That was awesome. So good. So good, so good. Okay, awesome, yeah. Uh, we're at the top of the hour, but Dana and I are happy to hang around and answer some questions. If anybody has any questions for either, either one of us, uh, comments or anything of the sort. We're happy to have some conversation around anything that we've all talked about. If anybody's interested in doing so, feel free to unmute and, and jump on in. I just wanted to say, um, uh, the creativity thing made me very happy, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> made me very, very happy. Um, and I love your dating profile. <laughs> I'm not available if anybody's. <laughs> <laughs>
But but isn't that the truth? Eh? We're we're so tied up by what we do. Mm. When we describe ourselves to other people um, that telling people who we are is mm. is something that we leave to the, the the tail end of it and i think we need to be more forthcoming with who we are and have people accept us uh, for ourselves as opposed to what we contribute to their lives yeah Absolutely. And a lot of that begins with knowing who we are. I mean, that's what's the power of, of personal development, the power of self-discovery. I mean, it's a very worthy journey when you can articulate who you are. I know we are very complex people and there's so much to us, but I like practical, I like easy, and I like to be able to name it out a little bit because it actually makes you go, oh, I have a lot more to offer the world than I think I do. And we always are so hard on ourselves, but we have so much to give, but we just don't see it. Yeah. Thank you for your, your ego and your spiritual lists. <laughs> yeah. did, did you say you were going to include that in the mail out? Yes, actually. Yeah. Oh. I have the little clip so you perfect because i think it's cut going... it out and stick it that's exa- yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it <laughs> yeah where am i right at this moment oh there's that ego again all right i should well, have like a little on. ledger like a little arrow that you can move back and yes <laughs> great idea uh, okay. so i have to run um but thank you ladies both very much um ronnie i i spend every uh every week with ronnie um and i i know her message and mm-hmm. I know it works mm-hmm. um, and I'm in the process of, of working through it. And uh, mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, kudos and appreciation. Um, thank you for sharing Natalie. Thank, oh, and thank you for coming. Well, I, I just want to see how you guys do this. Uh, <laughs> You're just checking thing. us out. <laughs> well, I, I was checking you out. I mean, um, the thing we did last night was was quite different than yours because it was um, there was no PowerPoint involved, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, but the messages are all very similar uh, about fighting these these inner things that were originally designed to protect us and have gotten just a little out of hand. So, <laughs> just a little. So true. All right, love. Inner world creates our outer world. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Bye, Natalie. See you next week. Jamie, Sandy, I don't know if you gals are there. If you wanted to pop in and say hello or or add anything or ask anything. I know um, I'm just going to stop the recording. You've been listening to Being More with Ronnie Davis. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about embodied cognitive eating training and access free resources, visit www.ecet.online.